You're listening to the Grace Through Faith weekly podcast. For more information, go to mygtf.org. We hope you enjoy. Nehemiah chapter 8 is where we're going to be reading today. And uh, before I jump into the message, uh, just to kind of um, uh, welcome everybody back. How many of you guys, this is y'all's first Sunday back. There's quite a few of you guys. Don't be afraid to raise your hand because that's a major. There was 33 people that came last Sunday. Uh, and then, then we had our, our, our dream team, uh, the volunteers who were helping. So we had about 55 people. Um, this Sunday, I think that we had 90% of our tickets that were actually pre-reserved. Um, and most of y'all showed up, which is great. Um, next weekend, as, as Pastor April was saying, we are going to be opening up to more people. Um, we're going to be opening up GTF Kids. Um, uh, the, the governor is continuing to allow more and more people to congregate. And so next Sunday, we're actually going to open up to even more people and, and, and provide children's ministry. One of the things that you need to know for moms and dads who are looking for children's ministry and, and information about that, be paying attention to social media. We're going to be giving more information, but it's going to be for kids. GTF Kids is going to reopen for birth through third grade. And so we're going to kind of kind of phase into that as well. And so we're not going to do our fourth through sixth grade class quite yet, um, but we're getting ready to do that. And so we need the classroom space so we can kind of spread our kids out. We're going to kind of limit that to just birth through third grade next Sunday for the next few Sundays. Okay. Well, um, like I said, opening your Bible to Nehemiah chapter eight, we're going to continue the series that I started a couple weeks ago titled Brave New World. And one of the things that, that I'm trying to deal with through this series is kind of bring some, some truth from God's Word to our relevant experience of what we're going through right now as we re-engage with social interactions, whether that be in movie theaters or church. You know, there's so much that we have shut down over the last several months throughout this lockdown. And now as we begin to re-engage, what does God's Word have to say? This is what I firmly believe. God has leadership and truth from His Word for every single, and every, every single season and circumstance of our lives. And so what is it that He would say to us in this unprecedented season that we're in as we re-engage? It's like I've never, I, I don't know that it's ever happened before, but definitely not in our lifetimes where the entire world economy has been shut down for a, a long period of time. And as that was happening, I think there was a lot of disbelief, and it's like, how can this be going on right now? And, and, a, and a lot of shock. And, but as we begin to re-engage, there's just as much difficulty of how do we do this and how do we do this well? Well, here's the interesting thing. Is as you look at the story of Ezra, the book of Ezra is right before where I had you turn to Nehemiah today. But the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah, Zechariah and Haggai, are all about the story, the story of the, the exiles of Israel coming out of exile back into the land of Israel and rebuilding the temple. And as they were coming out, the, the message that God spoke to the Israelites in that season is really similar to what I feel like He's saying to us right now. Really, the first thing that began to happen, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, was God began to stir. He stirred, first of all, King Cyrus's heart to release these Jews from captivity, that doesn't happen very often from a king of conquest. To release his servants to go back to the land that they have been basically pulled out of through war and to allow them to begin to rebuild and worship their God. But Cyrus's heart, it says in Ezra chapter 1, Cyrus's heart was stirred by the hand of God. But not only did God stir Cyrus, he stirred his people to go back and rebuild. And in this season, all of our hearts are being stirred. Some of us are having to wait a little bit longer. And that's what's interesting about Ezra is the children of Israel came out of exile in phases. The first people that came back to the land were the builders and their families. 
And then there was a massive, and we're going to read about that today, there was a massive opening up, and, and then basically everybody else came later. This, took, this went through a process of over 100 years that the exiles were coming out of Babylon back to the land of Egypt, rebuilding the temple for a single purpose. And that single purpose was for a revival to take place within the nation of Israel. For them to come back to their God in devotion and in passion and to give Him everything of themselves that they had been holding back. Now, here's, I believe, where we are. I believe that we're in this process of being stirred by God to begin to re-engage with what, with what we have. There's, there's, there, in that stirring, there's, there's a little bit of impatience. There's a little bit of trepidation. There's, there's this thing inside of us that are like, let's go. And if that's not where you are yet, that's okay. I think that every single household has to decide for them and as for you and your household mentality of how you're going to re-engage. But there is a moment whenever you're going to begin to stir to go back to the life that you live. We can't live in seclusion forever. It is not healthy and it is not the way that we have been created. The second thing that I see us is happening is we are having to rebuild the life that we have enjoyed. We're going to have to rebuild our economy. We're going to have to begin to rebuild our social structures. We're going to have to rebuild everything that we've paused and put on hold and have put to the side. Now listen, this is what I believe God is up to. In the process of, of us re-engaging with the, with the social structures of what actually provide a life flow for you and I on a day-to-day -day basis, God wants to bring revival to you and I. He wants to pour revival out all across the world. There is an opportunity in this moment to begin to experience the next thing that God has for the whole globe and to be a part of the next movement that God has for the earth in this hour. And so I want to look at that today. In order to do that, I want, to, I want you to see the revival that actually broke out in Israel as the exiles came back. And so I had you turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. And in Nehemiah, this is actually the story of Ezra. Ezra and Nehemiah are actually working together. And so Ezra and Nehemiah, these two books were the historical account of these exiles coming back and rebuilding the temple and worshiping God. And this is the day in chapter 8 whenever revival broke out among the people. When their hearts were broken before God, where they, be, they began to repent and they, be, they began to re-engage with the Lord in such a way and God did something really unique and special, and I want you to see it. So look at verse 1. It says this. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read, it, read from it, facing the square before the water, great from, water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. This is basically what happens. I want to just pause for a second and explain what's going on. Ezra is a priest, but his specialty is he's a scribe in the Word of God. His job was to take the Word of God and actually copy it and send it from generation to generation. That's what the scribes did. And so as an expert in the Word of God, what basically they asked him to do, these were, these were exiles that had not been reading the Word of God for over 70 years. 
And as they came out of exile and they were there in a rebuilt temple, it had been dedicated unto the Lord and they had sacrificed unto God again. They were beginning the process of worship all over again. They said, Ezra, why don't you get up and why don't you just read the word of God? And he started in the morning and went till midday all afternoon and just began to read the word of God to him. In the beginning was the word and the word was God. And the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's John 1, 1. Jesus Christ, the Word of God. Listen, there is power in the Word of God to bring revival to your soul. And all Ezra did was begin to read the Word of God, and there were people that helped him. So continue to read. Look at verse 4. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that day that they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood Mattathiah, Shammai, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkah, Messiah in the, on the right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Milkajah, Hashem, Hashbani, Zechariah, and I practiced this all week long, and Meshalem on his left hand. These were governors and leaders in the nation of Israel. And they were standing on the platform with him. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, these were all priests. So these Levites that are listed here, these priests actually helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people actually understood what was being read. This is interesting to me. Because in, in, in my life's work, one of the things that we long to see in the ministry is for people's hearts to be drawn to God to connect them to God through Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross and for revival to break out in their lives, in individuals' lives. And sometimes as a ministry and as a church, I'm talking about as a whole, we make this way too complicated. And what Ezra and the priests did that day was they opened the book of the law, something that these people hadn't been exposed to for two generations, and began to read the law and begin to help people understand what was being said. That is one of the primary callings of a minister, of a preacher, is to help people understand what God is saying. And as they did that, something happened in their soul and revival broke out. It's one of the reasons that I am so big on, on us reading the Word of God and preaching the Word of God. This is what, this, listen to what Psalm 19 says. This is the power of God's Word in your life. And listen, if you will, I, I'll, I'll tell you this story real quick. Whenever I was um, coming out of high school, I, I was lost as a goose in a snowstorm. And I've told many of you my testimony before. And I was, I was a heathen and I was a partier. And I just, I lived for jewelry and jewelry alone. And God wrecked my life. This is the, 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 the brief version, okay? God wrecked my life through a couple of circumstances, and I surrendered my life to the Lord. And as I began to try to build a life in God, begin to follow His ways, one of the things that I struggled all through school was reading. I hated reading. I didn't want to read. I never found anything interesting. 
And as I begin to engage with God and begin to go to school and begin to do what God was calling me to do to engage and to succeed in life, I knew that I had to begin to read, and it was challenging for me. And I made this vow in my college days, and because I wasn't a very avid reader and I didn't like reading, if I was going to you know, become a reader, I was going to at least read the Word of God. And I'm just telling you, it revolutionized my life. Because whenever I read the, God, the Word of God, I'm not trying to just read to check something off. It's like, I really do want to try to understand. And there's still so much that I don't understand fully. But I want to understand what the Word of God is saying to me and what it's asking of me. And listen to me, if you can institute that in your life, it will revolutionize you. It will change you. This is what Psalm 19 says. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The Word of God has the power to give you revelation in your spirit, man. It has the power to begin to cause your heart to rejoice again. Are you lost in grief right now? The Word of God has something to impart into your life. Is there something that you need to be revived? Do you need life? Again, that's what revival is. And there is only one source of life, and that is Jesus Christ. Do you need life? Again, the Word of God has the revival for your soul that you need. Look at verse 9 in Nehemiah chapter 8. So this is what happened, okay? Ezra began to read the Word of the Lord to the people who they haven't been exposed to it in quite some time. And this is what happened next. It says, And Nehemiah who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the, the words of the law. Let me stop for just a second. This is basically what happened as they begin to, to read the word of God to the people. Their hearts were broken because they knew that they had rebelled against God's word. You can look at Ezra chapter 6, it tells the same story, and it goes into a little bit more detail about the weeping. It actually says that the, weep, the sound of the weeping overtook the camp. There was a sound of mourning and grief because they had forsaken God's ways. And Ezra and Nehemiah stand up to the, in front of the people and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Today is a holy day set aside unto the Lord, but not for weeping. Listen to what he says next. Verse 10. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Now this is what happens whenever a revival breaks out in my life, is automatically there is going to be a quickening in my heart that I've rebelled against God's word and His ways. And that does bring grief, but listen, revival always breeds joy and generosity. And that's what Nehemiah called the nation of Israel to, is to a place of rejoicing and celebration of the fact that God had not only brought them back to the land, but He was bringing them back into worship and a relationship and intimacy with Him. 
That's worthy of rejoicing. He says, I want you to go home and I want you to slaughter the fattened calf. I want you to, 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 to prepare choice meats. And if you know anybody that doesn't have provisions, give them some. Joy and generosity are the byproduct of every revival that happens in every soul. To where we begin to rejoice and overcome because God has brought us out of the bondage and the darkness that we've been lost in. Now during this season, God has been bringing us back to the main thing. We've been spending a lot of time with family, haven't we? We've been spending a lot of time to, you know, by ourselves without the busyness of the rat race that we're typically caught up in to think about and to reflect. And, to, and it's, all of these things have been made available to us in this season. And God has been bringing us back to the main things, the things that are important the most, Him and people. And as He's been doing that, we've been challenged to look at where is it that we draw our strength from? Where is it that you fill your tank What is the well that you drink out of that that satisfies your soul? A lot of times we drink from the wrong thing. This is what revival is. Revival is turning away from the ungodly things that we have rejoiced in, that we have filled ourselves in so that we can turn to God and make Him the thing that satisfies our soul. Whenever we do that, it will bring joy and generosity. It will bring life. That is the thing of life. Why is it that we want to succeed and why do we want to be rich and why do we want to have a bunch of friends? Because deep down inside of our soul, there is ingrained something inside of us that we want to rejoice and celebrate. And we want to do so in a way that we can include others, even if they don't have what they need. Now listen, there's so many times that we rejoice and we celebrate around the wrong thing. Amen? But what God has brought us back to is what are the things that we should rejoice over and what are the things that we should celebrate over and why is it that we should be generous? It's because it is the nature and character of God. Joy, by the way, is the kingdom response to tragedy. I want to read you um, Psalm 126 real quick. You don't have to turn there. Actually, I don't want you to turn there. If you want to look it up later, you can just jot it down. But I told you this last week, this is the song that these captives sang on their way back to Israel. This is the song that was born out of this movement, out of this revival. Psalm 126, it's a song of ascents, and this was the song that they sang as they ascended to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. It says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. Another version says, when the, when the Lord brought back the captives of Israel. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed of for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing in sheaves from the harvest with him. Listen, this is the currency of revival. A lot of times we get this confused because we think the currency of revival is grief and mourning and weeping. The grief and the mourning and the weeping happen whenever we become aware that we haven't been walking in God's ways. But the, the, the end result of God bringing life back to a soul is so that we can rejoice. Those who sow in tears will reap shouts of joy. 
that is the currency of the kingdom. And whenever revival happens in our heart, there's nothing that we can do but rejoice. God has something up His sleeve in this moment. The reason I wanted to kind of go through Ezra is because we have an opportunity to see God do something in our lives that looks a lot like what He did in the nation of Israel's history in Ezra and Nehemiah's day. Now, I don't know if you know this, but history repeats itself for good and for bad. We have an opportunity to host a revival within our own soul, within our own family, within our own community, within our own country. It's ours to steward. It's ours to lay hold of or to see pass us by. But make no mistake about it. God is up to something in this, mo- in this moment. This pandemic, I just want to talk about this for just a second before. Um, actually, I, I want to read this. I want you to read this with me. Actually, turn over to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. I want to read something that Jesus said, and he was talking about the kingdom, and he was talking about, you know, in the context of revival. And before we read this, I just want to tell you that, that, you know, I just feel deep down in my soul that God has it on his heart to do something, that this has the opportunity that's been laid before us to change something in our culture. Do you know God wants to do that? has the opportunity to change something in your culture, in your personal culture, how you live your life and how you run your family. Here's the thing that, that we were talking about on the way to church this morning. is It's like we don't want to re-engage in this season and, and coming out of this lockdown and, go, and, and miss this opportunity to come out different and different for the better. To be somebody who's more engaged with God and who is more locked in with His calling on our lives and more aware of the people around us who need the good news of Jesus Christ. See, it's a lot like, I just feel like that there's almost been this veil in the season of what God's been doing, this veil that He's lifted off of our hearts so that we can actually see how we truly are. This pandemic has ushered in this cloud of fear over the whole globe. And as we kind of look at this cloud, why is this this fear so rampant? It's because we had this brush up against our mortality. We talk about getting sick and dying a horrible death, and I mean, we've all, we've all heard the statistics, and we've all seen the, the, the tragedy, and we've all been afraid at some level, some more than others, but at some level, there has been fear that has gripped the hearts of men and women. Why? Because we're afraid of death. Listen, the fear of death is the bondage that Christ Jesus has come to set us free from. This is what Hebrews 2 says. It says, He Himself, Jesus, likewise, partook of the same things as us, meaning He became a man. He partook of the same things that through His death He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and goes on to say, and deliver all those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Listen, I think that most of us think that whenever we come to Jesus and we become born again and we surrender our life to Jesus and get saved, that we're getting saved from sin. I don't know if anybody's ever told you this before, but that's not it. That's part of the story, and that's the beginning of the story, but that's not the end game. God came to set you free from your sin so that you wouldn't die. The wage of sin is 
death. That's what Romans 3 says. The wage of sin, the product of sin is death. And what Jesus came to do is to give you life everlasting. So that even if your body dies, you live on. And actually what what correct theology says is one day you'll get another body and it'll be better than the one that you have right now, praise God. So that you can live forever. That is the gospel. See, Jesus came to solve the sin problem only so that he can solve the death problem. And if you don't have a security in your salvation and you don't think about the kingdom correctly, then you will still be a slave to the fear of death. Listen, I've told you this before. I'm not afraid to die. I just don't want it to hurt. You know, there there still is that. I don't want it to be painful and I don't want to suffer and all those things. But I'm not afraid to die. Why? Because what's waiting me after this life is far superior to this one. Far superior. The reason that we're afraid is because we've brushed up against our mortality. And as we've brushed up against our mortality, we've been reminded that we may not live forever. Listen, this is the root of the gospel. This is the reason why I say that God has a revival in His heart. Because the moment that we become aware again that we aren't going to live forever apart from Christ, we are ready to hear good news. We're ready to hear hope. And as April said earlier, we do have the answer. And it doesn't come in the form of a vaccine. And I'm not anti-vaccine, by the way. It doesn't come in the form of a vaccine. It doesn't come in the form of a fountain of youth. It comes in the form of a, a life surrendered to Jesus Christ. And in that place, you will live forever. Have you ever had a near-death experience? I've had one or two. And one of the things that happens whenever you almost die and you're aware that, that you, know, you could have just died is you're kind of sobered, right? It's like you, you kind of get shocked into reality. And as you're shocked back into reality, you're immediately grateful and you're rejoicing and you're happy and you're glad that you didn't just die. And then as time goes on, that feeling kind of fades. And if you're not careful, you'll slip back into the same bad habits that almost killed you. Mine was speeding. <laughs> Listen, one of the, I think, godsends of this pandemic and this lockdown have been how long it has lasted. Because we can't just automatically return to life as usual. And it's almost like what I see, it's almost like God is presenting this opportunity. And as much as we try to keep going back to what we were doing before, God's going, hang, hang on, just, just stay in this moment for a second and let's change something. Let's change something. There's all kinds of different ways to look at what's going on right now, but listen, God has something up His sleeve in response to what's going on. We've brushed up against our mortality and now is the moment whenever we really explore, are we ready? Are you ready? That's what revival is all about, is are you ready to meet your maker? Now look at Matthew chapter 13. This is what Jesus says. This is the sobering reality of life. The sobering reality of life is that we are all going to die. Nobody's escaped that portion. You and I will come face to face with death, and apart from Christ, we will not live again. And in that place of death, we are confronted with this exchange that Jesus talks about. Now, I wanted you to read this with me and know this is in your Bible because one of the things that happens whenever we start talking about the gospel is 
A lot of times we try to just brush over the reality of what's going to happen at the culmination of the age. Is we will have to give account to God with how we lived our lives. It says this in verse 47, Jesus is teaching some parables, okay, which is just a story. So that, like what was happening in Nehemiah's day, people could understand the Word of God. And so he was giving them an example. Everybody knew what fishing was like, and so he used a fishing example. He says this, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew the net to shore and sat down and sorted the good fish into containers, but threw away the bad fish. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them, the evil, into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Listen, Jesus is the one who had compassion on the crowds and healed them. Jesus is the man of peace. He's actually the prince of peace. Jesus is the one who's kind. Jesus is the one that we love. But Jesus is also the one that made us aware that there is a hell. That there is coming a moment at the end of the age where we will have to give account for our lives and how we lived them and gave an oppor- how we lived in, in response to the opportunity to make reconciliation with God. And what we do with that opportunity determines where we spend eternity. Now listen, it says the evil go into the lake of fire. What the book of Revelation says is that lake of fire was not created for you and me. It was created for Satan and his angels. But if we do not steward the opportunity to reconcile our life with God, that is where we will reside. Now you may say, I I don't know if I can be righteous. Guess what? The just shall live by faith, not your deeds, which is good news. You've been saved by grace through faith, not by your works. And so faith in what Jesus has done is what makes you righteous. It justifies you before God. That's one excuse that we use is like, well, I don't know that I can ever make up for my wrongs. Listen, Jesus is the one who made up for that. One of the other excuses that we use is I'm not that evil. Listen, it doesn't have anything to do with that. It has to do with we were born in sin. No matter how bad you've been. And by the way, I feel like that we've all been worse than we think that we have. No matter how bad you've been, you were born into sin and you need to be reconciled with God by faith in Christ. Now, this is what I believe. God is bringing us out of this moment and presenting us with an opportunity to respond. Much like the children of Israel were given an opportunity to respond to the Word of God in Nehemiah chapter 8. God is reminding us again that He is life. And everywhere that I have been trying to find life anywhere else is an idol, and it's insufficient to do what only God can. And so please, do not let this opportunity pass you by before you respond and get back into the flow of your life and not make God the number one. Not make God the primary focus of how you live your life and what you're living your life for. It is for Jesus, and life comes from Jesus. And as we do that, that is the place that revival will happen in our lives. If you would stand with me this morning, I'm going to invite the worship team to come come on out. And here in just a second, um, Pastor Bo is actually going to share with you. We're going to take communion here in just a second. I'll, I'll just give you some information while they're kind of getting everything in place. But you got some communion elements whenever you came in this morning. 
And there's actually a wafer in the top of that. There's two pieces of cellophane that you need to peel back. There's a wafer in the top, and there's juice in the, in the cup. And as uh, Pastor Bo is going to lead us in worship, but he has, I asked him to share something. We had some prayer time this week. We had our staff meeting, and we had a time of prayer, and, and we were praying as a staff just for God to do this work in us. And one of the things that Pastor Bo, he started talking about King David, and I wanted you, if you would, this morning, share that with everybody. Yeah, so uh, just felt like going into prayer um, that the Lord was just impressing on me the need to understand where I personally am. You know, self-awareness isn't necessarily a a fruit of the Spirit, but King David... Uh, in Psalm 139, he said to God, hey, Lord, search me and know me. How many of you know that God knows everything about you already? Right? So when David is saying this to God, what he's asking for is, hey, God, make me aware of the things that you see that I can't see about myself. Right? Has anyone ever given you feedback about yourself and you're like, wow, I didn't know I was making people feel that way? Everyone's had that experience, right? Well, David goes to the father and he goes, hey, father, search me and know me and let me see myself the way that you see me so that I can interact with you that way. Amen? Amen. And so as Jory's like talking about revival um, and we've been kind of doing that through line in staff as well, I think there's such an importance right now to understand where it is that our hearts are where it is that our souls are. And we can go to our father and say, hey, father, make me aware. Like, tell me really where I am. Because maybe there's things in me that need to shift and change. And maybe I'm actually hurting or more scared or afraid or have anxiety deeper than I know. And God can heal that, amen? Or maybe you feel condemned and you feel ashamed and you feel low and God actually wants to encourage you and tell you, hey, you're actually doing really well. But I think there's a, there's a bravery that needs to come on the body of Christ right now to go like, hey, where are we actually at? Let's let God give us an account of who we are and not just rely on our gut. Amen? So we're gonna sing this song and um, it's called Lean Back. And I just encourage you as you take communion and you fellowship with the Lord, Ask the Father, show me the things that I can't see about myself so that I can interact with you on that. Amen? So Father, right now all across the room, we just invite you. Search us. Father, your eyes see. And would you speak to us? God, I pray for everybody in this room to have a clarity of your voice that maybe we've never experienced before, that we would hear your voice. The the word says that the sheep hear his voice and respond to it, they know it. Let us hear it and know it this morning, Lord.